Hi, everyone. I'm Anna Stockstad from University of Minnesota Extension. And I'm Dave Noli from the Minnesota Logger Education Program. In today's podcast episode, we'll be talking about how to close a sale after harvesting has been completed. So joining us today are two loggers from the Southeast. Can you go ahead and introduce yourselves, please? Seth Johnson, Johnson Logging. Rob Swinski, uh, Hawkeye Forest Products. Thanks so much for you both for joining us today. So as loggers, you're involved with the harvesting process all the way until the end. And so we'd love to hear more about how to properly close a sale after harvesting has been completed. So I grew up on a family farm, uh, a lot of private land, which is what you guys encounter a lot of down here, uh, and probably would have been interested, just didn't know any better, but would have been interested in, in actively managing uh, the family farm and the, the, the woodland there in particular. But, you know, a little bit curious about if, uh, if we got in there and, and did some harvesting, we'd certainly have some some logging roads that would be built to to work on that harvest. How what, what keeps once those roads are in there and once it's opened up, what keeps uh, all the all the neighbors or even the the tourists from wandering in and cutting the place up with their ATVs? You know, what do you do to to keep them keep them off those roads? Uh, we generally work with the landowner to what they're looking for. Um, it's a lot easier to keep the people out if the private landowner is active on site versus an absentee landowner. Um, but some things we've done in the past are we've piled call logs across that main access points. We've put rocks in place. Um, we'll, we've had people dig trenches and pile up dirt. So it's a little uh, gully there drop trees across it, just kind of all many different things like that. Or we've had landowners put up gates just so they can block the access and then have easy access for themselves for vehicles or four-wheelers, whether to cut firewood or recreational aspects of the land. What happens with the slash? Um, you're, you're not taking it all out, are you? No, the slash uh, down here in Southeast, uh, probably 99% of what we do is selective harvest. So they're just taking out the good logs. Occasionally some firewood comes off the top, otherwise the slash is left on the premises for uh, wildlife. So if I'm around, if uh, if I'm not an absentee landowner, you know, when it comes to like figuring out where to put the landing and where that space might be able to be, you know, it, it might fit a need that I have as a landowner. It's probably better better than if I were absentee, I think I heard. Heard you say a second ago, Seth. Yeah, uh, when you're around, it's a lot easier. You, that way, you can also keep an eye on what's going on on the site uh, and uh, answer any questions you may have, rather than just seeing it after the fact and then been like, "Oh, I wish I could have done this different" or something along them lines. Great. Are, are there any methods that you implement to try to rehabilitate uh, landings and skid trails? So you're trying to limit disturbance and compaction on that on-site infrastructure. Um, so maybe you've left some ruts, for example, on some skid trails. Are there any steps that you would take to try to reverse that? Oh, the skid trails you're talking about? Yeah. Well, when we can, we use uh, uh, low-impact equipment, crawlers and so forth on sites if... Uh, that helps minimize soil compaction. Uh, try and eliminate or keep our skidding on rubber-tired machines to 
dry ground conditions or frozen ground conditions as best we can. Um, not all sites will allow that, but and then what we like to do too is uh, whether the landowner is is on site or absentee, we have a plan from the very beginning on on how the property is to be harvested and what's to be taken where and in certain areas will be selectively marked and certain areas will be cut for wildlife encouragement. Um, all those trails, if there's any type of slope, I'd say greater than 5%, um, we see that it gets seeded down with some type of forage that will come and, uh, and, and help hold those materials in place until the natural vegetation comes back in. That makes a lot of sense, reseeding to prevent any erosion and further compaction that might occur, just to try to rehabilitate those skid trails and landings. And so I feel like that concept of sale closure is very similar to the idea of leave no trace, and anyone who hikes or camps would be very familiar with that. So what are some of those no-brainer leave no trace practices that apply to a harvest site? Well, um, because we selectively harvest large, large crowned trees down here compared to what they do up north, um, a lot of times our slash uh, is 8, 10, 12, 14 feet in the air. We'll have the crews um, cut, cut that stuff down to within eye level so that as the ground vegetation comes the following year, it pretty well um, helps heal the images that 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 individual might incur there as they're going through the property. It makes it a little bit more pleasurable to look at. Um, and you kind of a little different subject, but by doing that on a year like this year has been a tremendous help for the wildlife of having them lower tops where deer are able to get at them, eat the buds and branches off them. Uh, with the tough aspect of getting food source this year with the amount of snow we've had and then the rain freezing on top of that so they can't access the uh, and forage on the ground. So something like that's been a tremendous help for them this year of having them lower tops. And then uh, like when possible too, if the landowner don't want them, like to get any like short chunks or calls out of sight so they're not on there. Uh, make sure landings are left, you know, flat and smooth, not all rutted up or stuff like that. Great. You know, I was uh, I was just out over the last this past weekend uh, out with my boys out at scout camp, and so it's kind of fitting full circle here. Leaving the place, uh, leaving your campsite better than you found it. So you, I'm sure you you, you clean up uh, any flags, any markings. You you get the Get the place yep. uh, looking looking tidy. Now, if only I could learn a lesson or two from you guys and get that to apply in the Noli household and have the dishes put in the dishwasher instead of on the counter and uh, mitigate some of the impact of explosion. I mean, erosion uh, from uh, from uh, the rest of the household at home when the, when somebody comes along and finds that dish that's in the wrong place. Now, there is, uh, all joking aside, a, a pretty handy checklist in this uh I guess we're on a podcast. I don't have to hold it up for a camera here, but in the FMG pocket guide, so that you, um, so that anyone can know that they're following all of those steps. Maybe, uh, maybe I should take a lesson there and make a checklist for the kids at home to to follow the checklist to put the milk back into the refrigerator 
and to wipe up the spilled milk off the kitchen table. Thanks, Dave. I think we can all learn a little bit from the leave no trace concept. <laughs> and so thanks guys so much for joining us today and sharing your thoughts and experiences with sale closure. And once again, to our listeners, make sure to keep listening to our next episode that's focused on spills and emergencies. Our goal with these podcast episodes is to give you a refresher on the guidelines prior to our in-person field trainings focused on the guidelines. So keep an eye out for updated updates related to those trainings, and we'll see you soon. Thanks so much.